Okay, welcome to The Week in Wrestling, Episode 2. Uh, this is a show where I, uh, I'm Jack Hurley. I write about wrestling for the Fight Site. If you didn't know that, I talk about wrestling that's happening this week, what happened this past weekend, um, both uh, you know, kind of more in-depth on a couple matches and also just a general overview of what's going on in the world of wrestling. So those of you who are trying to get more into wrestling or maybe follow it more casually can get uh, get to know who the people are, get to know what the big matches are, uh, and know where to watch things. Uh, later on in the show, I'm going to have Ed Gallo on to talk about the freestyle that happened. Uh, we've already recorded it, but it, it's going to go at the end of the episode. There was a huge match scheduled uh, between Jordan Burroughs and David Taylor. Uh, David Taylor, uh, as part of a contact tracing thing, uh, was held out of the event. Um, they rescheduled it for a few days later. Uh, the rest of that card went on as scheduled, and then Burroughs and Taylor wrestled on Wednesday instead of Saturday. Uh, and we'll talk about that as well as some of the undercard matches. Uh, that was over on Flow Wrestling if you want to watch the replays. Uh, in college, there were a lot of good duels, not a ton of huge individual matches. Uh, Missouri, Nebraska had some good ones. Um, Brock Hardy, who went on a Mormon mission for two years, is now back. Uh, and he had a good win uh, over Michael Blockus from Minnesota. Uh, a kid named Andrew Sparks uh, from Minnesota wrestled Peyton Robb from Nebraska, both. Uh, you know, top 20, maybe top 10 type guys. Rob was winning most of the way. Uh, Sparks came back on him, took the lead, and then Rob almost got him at the very last second. Uh, it was a, a pretty close call. They gave it to Sparks. Um, that match should be on the Big Ten Network YouTube. Uh, that That's uh, 165. Both those guys, I think, are going to be in a lot of entertaining matches this year. Uh, Missouri has been wrestling a lot lately. Um, they've been doing a lot of tri and quad meets, so they've been getting a lot of matches. They have a couple interesting wrestlers. Uh, Connor Brown uh, lost a good one to uh, Drew Hildebrandt from Central Michigan, uh, and that was a good match, but Connor Brown is a pretty interesting wrestler. He he doesn't seem to have any one particular skill that stands out, but he kind of finds ways to make matches competitive, and he's beaten some really good guys. Uh, Keegan O'Toole is a freshman from Missouri. He had been wrestling at 157 this past weekend. He went 165. Uh, I'm not sure if that was just a one-off thing. Uh, they have a couple issues with their lineup in terms of getting their best 10 guys in. There's there's some overlap in weights. They might have to move people around a little bit, but he's just really smooth and really fluid. Um, and he he can score from a lot of different positions. He's a fun guy to watch. Uh, they also have Brock Mahler at 149, who's sort of the opposite. He's just really, really solid. He's really hard to score on. He's got really good re-attacks, really good uh, arm drag. And he's um, 
he's just a really good example of counter wrestling, both in terms of when they've done a move, when they've gotten to your leg or, you know, done an attack, uh, scoring yourself off of that, but also uh, re-attacking is a form of countering where when you completely uh, avoid their shot, you down block or you sort of just step back and they get like a half shot off uh, and then you take your shot. And that's something that I think doesn't get talked about. as Re-attacks often get treated as just regular attacks. Uh, people think of them as just offensive attacks and I think they're really more accurately thought of as counters. Uh, so if you want to see another way to be a counter wrestler that's not just you know crazy hips crazy scrambling ability when they get to your leg but making them pay when they shoot when they take a half shot when they get uh, out of position a little bit because they're trying to score uh, look at some of Brock Mahler's matches they've been mostly wrestling on ESPN plus uh, this coming week there's some good stuff um, Penn State versus Rutgers was going to happen. That's now been canceled, uh, which stinks because it was potentially going to be Nick Lee and Sebastian Rivera, uh, Roman Bravo Young against Sammy Alvarez. But we still have Nebraska-Iowa, which is uh, the biggest duel of the season so far. Um, Nebraska's got a couple uh, tough decisions to make with their lineup, uh, but so far it's been Chad Red at 141. He'll be wrestling Jaden Ironman from Iowa. Ironman is uh, a really good scrambler, a really good mat wrestler, and he's been working on being more offensive, taking more leg attacks. Uh, Red is a tough guy to open things up against. He's pretty good defensively. He's pretty dangerous when, uh, when you shoot. He's got a good front headlock. He's got a really good cradle. Uh, but that's too top 10, maybe top 5 type guys. Um, and I think a lot of people are excited to see Ironman make his debut for Iowa. Uh, Brock Hardy, who I mentioned, is going to be wrestling Max Mirren from Iowa. It's a little bit more of a step up for Hardy. Uh, Mirren was a top 10 guy last year at 141, and now he's up at 49. Uh, Michael Kemmerer against Michael Labriola uh, at 174. Uh, those are Kemmerer is, I think, the consensus number one guy. Labriola is in the two to four range, and this will be a test, basically. Is he in the same tier as Kemmerer? Is he a guy who's going to challenge for the national title or not? Uh, there's also Eric Schultz against Jacob Warner. Uh, both guys who like to attack low uh, on the leg. Both guys move pretty well for 197. Both have really good uh, go-behinds and re-attacks. Uh, Schultz, in particular, it seems like just wears guys out, and then in the third period he just hits a ton of go-behinds because they take bad shots or they just get snapped down really easily. Um, and Schultz has also made big steps throughout his career. Basically every season he's, uh, he's ascended another rung on the ladder. Um, and Warner's a guy that was really good, was really highly regarded coming out of high school and hasn't made those jumps where maybe two years ago you just said Warner was better and now it feels like Schultz has kind of overtaken him. 
Um, and I think that's going to be an exciting match and a, a pretty good assessment of where those guys, those individuals are and where their teams are, what level of, you know, conditioning and match sharpness those teams have. Because that's a match that would ordinarily be pretty close and come down to the end. And if one guy runs away with it, it might suggest that, you know, their team has had some difficulties with their training. Uh the uh, Arizona State, uh, Mizzou, and Iowa State try will have some good matches. I'm particularly interested in Ja'Cory Teamer against David Carr at 157. Teamer, uh, I mentioned uh, last time on this show that he was wrestling Justin Thomas from Oklahoma, and he did lose that match. I was not able to watch it. I don't know what happened. Uh, but it shows Teamer still hasn't completely put it together, uh, but... This is a good chance for him this weekend. He's got David Carr, who's a top three or four guy in the country at 157, and also either O'Toole or uh, Jared Jock. Or I, I guess since it's Missouri, they don't pronounce it the French way. They pronounce it like JQs. But uh, he, he's a decent wrestler, and so that group of three should have some good matches. Uh, I think there is, there is a, a work tug card. Uh, the Wisconsin... Regional Training Center Underground, uh, Wurt Cug, but that's not a word, so I call it Work Tug. They uh, have put on some freestyle cards. They do a pretty bad job of promoting these things in terms of telling you what the matches are going to be, uh, and a lot of them are not super high level. It's a lot of high school and lower division college wrestlers. Uh, it's a lot of backups at the University of Wisconsin. But there's usually a few fun ones. Uh, they're, this time they're putting on uh, a coach's match. Um, Joe Dubuque, who was a national champion uh, at 125 in the mid-2000s, uh, is wrestling Chris Flieger, who was sort of his rival at that time. Flieger got second in the country, I think, a couple times uh, in that same era. And so that, that'll be interesting. We've seen some of these matches where the guys coming out of retirement haven't looked as good and they've usually lost to the, the guy who's an active wrestler. Uh, and so I, I think having them wrestle each other is the right way to do it. Um, you know, they're both going to have the same disadvantages. They're both going to have the same you know, issues with you know, extended scramble, scrambles in terms of you know, linking things together. They're maybe going to have issues in terms of their conditioning, in terms of, you know, wrestling hard, you know, scrambling and attacking for six minutes. Uh, and maybe they kind of mutually agree to level things off at the end of each period. Um, but it, it should be a fun one. And I, I think these cards should have more of these matches. Um, to get, to get fans into it, to get the wrestlers into it, to just have fun with these things. Not everything needs to be, you know, super high stakes, you know, senior level, you know, Olympic hopeful type of guys. And if you can't get a top three guy in the country, you don't need to have the number eight against the number 10 and act like it's a huge deal. You know, sometimes you can just have a fun match like this. And I, I hope they get more of these, more of the coaches coming back to wrestle. They've also got uh, Braxton Amos uh, against 
TJ Dudley. Um, Amos is a good wrestler. Um, was pretty highly recruited coming out of high school. He's going to make his college debut this year, I think. Uh, Dudley was a national finalist for Nebraska. He hopped onto the Michigan, the Cliff Keen uh, wrestling club team that won the RTC Cup about a month ago. Um, and I think that's a really good test for, for Braxton Amos, how good he's going to be at the college level. Is he a, you know, a, a top 10 guy? Is he a top 3 guy? I don't know, and we'll hopefully find out this weekend. Uh, that card is going to be on Rockfin, which, uh, if you don't know, is $10 a month for all the stuff on Rockfin, which includes, uh, in a couple weeks, there will be the Pittsburgh Wrestling Club will have an event. The Penn RTC will have an event. That one I'm really looking forward to. It's in a few weeks. It's going to have Mark Hall against Nate Jackson. Mark Hall I've written about for the fight site. Um, it's going to have Dan Valamont against uh, another wrestler. I don't remember who. But that should be a, a good one. That's not this week, though. This week is Work Tug. Uh, it's also... Nebraska-Iowa, and a few other duels. Uh, you can find a complete uh, college wrestling schedule on the uh, the Open Mat live streaming guide, which I'll uh, link to when the tweet goes out promoting this show. Uh, and now stay tuned for the part where Ed and I talk about Burroughs versus Taylor. We are here with uh, the week in wrestling. I'm not sure yet if this will be at the beginning of the show or the end. You might already know what's going on, but we're talking about uh, the match between Jordan Burroughs and David Taylor that ended about 10 minutes ago. I'm joined by Ed Gallo. Ed, what do you think? Dude, my heart was pounding the whole time. As soon as like the countdown clock started of, of the match starting, I started freaking out. I, I didn't realize how invested I was in Jordan Burroughs winning, so that was really what was fueling me. Um, I felt like all the pressure was on David Taylor, and uh, yeah, we can get into the specifics, but uh, it was a David Taylor win on Criteria 4-4, and I think a lot of people share the sentiment that I'm feeling, that uh, I, I feel like I came away with Burroughs kind of having the, the moral victory, you know, the, the, the symbolic victory. I feel like everyone came away thinking more of him. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Taylor uh, led 4-0 with a little over a minute, I think, left. And then it mm -hmm. was four step-outs for Burroughs. Uh, one of them, he actually like was in on a leg. Most of them, Taylor was just kind of backing straight up. It kind of seemed like he could have just not done that. <laughs> like if um, if the match situation were a little bit different, he could have uh, you know stayed in the center a bit better, and he just decided, you know what, I can give up a lot of step outs and still win this match. He had a takedown, uh, and so he could give up four and st four ones and still win on criteria. Um, some people also think he he was actually like really fading at the end of the match that Burroughs was kind of figuring him out, that Taylor was gassing out. Uh, do you have a take on that? Um, I think gassing out is probably an exaggeration, but I think he was putting a lot of energy into his game plan, 
So even though it wasn't a super active match, I think you know there, it, there was like an adrenaline dump, and he's still a little rusty and probably still not fully in shape. I mean, people forget how active he was, you know, when he was active. <laughs> if you read Seth's article on the fight site about Taylor's career, I mean, the, the amount of results is pretty crazy. I mean, he was he wrestled a lot. So, yeah, I think that contributes to his pace and, and his feel and just, like, the motor he can bring in the match. And plus, you know, putting a pace on 86-kilogram guys who aren't used to moving that way is a lot different than trying to put a pace on a 74-kilogram guy. So I think, yeah, he was fading, uh, getting tired. Uh, you know, that was allowing Burroughs to do what he was doing a little bit more. But I also agree that it was Taylor, you know, like in football when you have a big lead and you're trying to try and kill clock and, and let it go and give up what you can. Um, but, you know, just like in football, you need to stop them when they start getting close to actually winning. And he was so close to losing. It wasn't that the last shot was going to be a push out. He looked like he was stopping it pretty well, probably because he conserved his energy just for the one that he had to stop to win. But, I mean, they're calling cautions on the push outs. And I think that was correct because uh, Taylor wasn't really trying to stop him from pushing him out. He was backing out uh, just to make sure he wasn't mm-hmm. giving up twos. And they easily, I mean, I think... Yeah, the the very first four. one, I think the Matt official uh-huh. offered caution. The other official said no. Yeah, that would um, make a huge difference, right? Mm-hmm. That would have been the win. Mm-hmm. And maybe if he has two cautions against him uh, towards the end, he, he plays it differently. But yeah, right. I think it shows the the mental pressure that wrestling Burroughs puts on you, that you feel like you've got to just be at 100% every second of the match or you're given up at least two, um, and that, that really wears on people, where he can kind of be, even when he's, you know, maybe not winning the hand fight, when he's, it looks like he's getting backed up a little bit, it looks like he's just, you know, kind of trying to stay away, it looks like he can't get to anything, he can't move the guy, he can't keep his head up, mm-hmm. you know, Taylor just has that pressure on him, and it, it sort of wore him down over the course of the match. Yeah, um, one one of the major narratives going into the match was the size difference, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't. I mean, it definitely it, it existed for sure. Um, on paper, thinking seventy four kilograms, eighty six kilograms, it's a twenty five pound weight difference. It didn't look like a twenty five pound weight difference. It looked like maybe ten, um, and they weighed in about what like eight pounds away from each other, and that's probably Burroughs blown up and Taylor's close to competition weight. Uh, well, Taylor had to weigh in, right? Mm-hmm. So it's Taylor cutting weight and Burroughs being as big as he possibly can be and still an Mm -hmm. 8-pound weight difference. So, uh, you know, you could definitely see it. Uh, I mean, Taylor has always been taller and longer than him, but I think the major difference the weight played was Burroughs wasn't able to manipulate his posture. Um, He wasn't really able to snap him down very much at all. He wasn't able to convince him to level change, and I think that's where the height uh, factored in as well and the length because uh, that entire window to his legs was covered by his arms. Um, and because he was so big that it covers even more space. So he couldn't get get a lane on the legs. He couldn't snap him down to work his, his short offense and his go-behinds and the things he chains into singles. So his game was more or less shut down really early. So I was like, how is he going to get to his legs? How could he possibly score? I was, I was sweating it. So Jack, what, what did you see that led him to actually start to get to the legs? Um, I don't know. I'd have to watch it again. I was impressed at how well Taylor played the role of the big strong guy. And I mean, I, I mostly picked Burroughs uh, 
for sentimental reasons, but to the extent there was anything technical, it was that, you know, even though Taylor's bigger, uh, I didn't think of him as really a guy who was going to be the stingy shutdown guy. You know, where his, his success comes from scoring a lot, from getting to your legs, and from winning a lot of scrambles. Um, and so the idea that he would, you know, just manhandle Burroughs didn't seem likely, but I thought he did a good job of, like you said, basically kind of being unmovable and just, you know, staying in good position, uh, keeping his legs covered, preventing Burroughs from getting him out of position at all. Um, it helped that he didn't really have to take any shots. Uh, he had two, three, like two, I think he had, I think he had, he got shot down. He got mm -hmm. shut down that was that, that was yeah. position uh, on the mat at least once. Mm-hmm. He and had the time he got hyped. Yeah, he got the one takedown, or he he got he got a step out with that, and then he got the takedown off like the snap. Uh, go behind, and th I guess that that was a bit of a weird situation, but I think that actually was a weight thing. Uh, so Taylor went to snap Burroughs. Burroughs tried to use it as like his level change into a shot, uh, and then Burroughs just fell straight down. Uh, Taylor got the easy go behind, and then. Uh, Burroughs, like, stayed down on the mat, uh, like, he needed medical attention, uh, and they, they took a short break, and then he got back wrestling, and I think all that happened was there was more pressure down on him than he thought, and he, like, sort of strained his, like, one of his leg muscles, uh, his, his adductor or something, basically because you, you, like, put yourself in a position and then suddenly there's like a heavier load on the muscle or on the joint or whatever that you're expecting, and it doesn't hold up perfectly. But mm -hmm. Do you... I don't I don't know what uh, your your question was. What made the difference in the last couple minutes right. of Burroughs getting to legs? And I don't know. I will say a big part of his game has always been rhythm and kind of getting you to react, where it's not one fake, it's eight fakes in a row. Uh, and that's one thing that killed him against Godoyev in the Olympics was all the blood timeouts. Um, there was basically no way, like he never had the chance to create that rhythm. Mm -hmm. And that's part of why he always does so well late in matches. It's, it's partly that he's just, uh, you know, fearless and he believes in himself to the last second and he goes. Uh, but it's also people after five and a half minutes, they start getting, you know, out out of sync with him. Where he goes down, and they and they go down with him at the start of the match. Late in the match, he goes down, and then they go down a second later, and then he goes down again as they're coming up. And I think it it takes sometimes a good four or five minutes to get them into that rhythm. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, just. Uh when he was picking up his pace, trying to get into his sprint at the end, he, he kept hitting these big level changes. I also thought he looked a little sluggish. His feet looked a little slow early in the match, but then he picked it up towards the end. And it was probably, you know, a little bit of him having to carry extra weight as well was probably a little uncomfortable and couldn't move exactly the way he wanted to. But, um, yeah, he was picking up his pace and he was, you know, dropping to his knees and trying to convince Taylor to, you know, do something so he could move him around. And I think what happened was he was getting him low enough off the level change so that he could come back up on the head. I think that's how he's getting him to back up a little bit. Um, 
and maybe like once or twice he was able to transition to a leg from that but um really just crazy impressive stuff for him to pull <laughs> pull that offense out of his butt honestly just because it is like i said before his game really wasn't there and uh also good from from taylor to uh, to pick his spots intelligently um he was able to snap burrows down and i think that's how he got to the leg um he had also had a pretty i got scared right away because of uh, he snapped him down the front headlock and it didn't look that like that it was that hard for him to get to that position it looks like he was moving burrows around pretty easily so that concerned me but uh something we talked about in the predictions article um, was was Burrow's hand fighting? We thought that he'd be able to keep up with him there, and I, I think for the most part he did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that it, it was a pretty amazing match. Um, people are already ready to jump to conclusions about how they fare against everyone else based on that. Uh, I think Dake is is the big name that's coming up. Uh, like that that is proof that Burrows will beat Dake, or that that is proof that Dake would beat Taylor if he moved up again. <laughs> I like that one too. Um, how do, do you think Kyle Dake factors into this at all? Um, I don't know. I don't know how much you can take away from this for either guy because it's such a unique situation um, and a unique matchup. Uh, I, I don't even want to get into it right now. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, those are all my thoughts, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Um, in the they had a little bit of a, a pre-card. There was like six matches. Uh, three were high school. Then we had uh, three senior level matches. Uh, Joey McKenna beat uh, Seth Gross very easily. That made me happy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think it just showed um, how dependent Gross is on some of his physical advantages down at fifty-seven. Um, and it going up against a, a big 65 was a bit too much. I think it was also a bad style matchup for Gross because McKenna uh, does not give up points on his own shots, and most of Gross's scoring is from his opponent's shot. The uh, co-main was a bit more interesting. It was Jaden Cox and Nate Jackson. They both wrestled. Uh, actually, all, all these guys wrestled like Gross, McKenna, and then Cox and Jackson. Uh, at the uh, Saturday card as well. And then on a, a short turnaround, came out and wrestled again. Cox won 6-1, to one, I believe. Uh, but it was it was pretty close until the end. Ed, do you have any thoughts on that one? Um, Just that it was a, a Jaden Cox match, for sure. That um, you know, it was close in the first period. Um, Christian Piles on the commentary. Uh <laughs> said in the post-match interview to Jaden that um that not much happened that it was like low, low activity in the first period so I'd say low scoring uh is the better word uh just because you know that there was a lot of motion and Nate did fire off a couple doubles and Jaden was active with his hands and feet and looked like he always is so I mean there were there were reads being made um there were, there was you know content to analyze but uh yeah Jaden was kind of waiting on him and, and picking up his uh, his reads from the outside um, and that turned out to be pretty important because he, I think the first time he scored was he caught, caught his double into underhooks and threw him by, uh, for two, um, to cover in, in referees. And then, uh, did he get to his own shot or was it all countered? Uh, well, how did he get his, his takedown into the turn? That was a counter, wasn't it? So that's four. So there was one more score other than that. I think he got well, another, he... Two, I think he hit that same counter at the end. Mm-hmm. So it was all counters. I think so. <laughs> yeah. Parterre. Yeah, and, and Jaden's a guy who I think is also sort of 
rhythm based um, mm-hmm. or motion based where he he needs to get you like off phase with him where you're you're moving the wrong way you're not on the same beat as him um, and, and again it, it takes a little bit of kind of just back and forth and side to side until the guy kind of misses a step um, and so he it was a pretty close match um, it, it felt like Jaden was in control, but uh, it was it was even on the scoreboard until late. Right. That's a, a good match to watch for you know if people are trying to get literate in in Jaden Cox, uh, trying to figure out how he wrestles, what his matches are like. Um, you know, basically all the matches where they look like they're close until they're not. Uh, you just have to watch a bunch of those before you start to believe that even mm-hmm. when it is low scoring, that he he has it under control. Um, that is very rarely not the case. So uh, it's, it's always a little a little uh, nerve-wracking originally. And, you know, Nate Jackson did move up in weight uh, for that match from 86 to 97. Obviously, Jaden was moving up too, but definitely the bigger wrestler. Um, so you weren't, like, fearing for him or anything like that. But uh, just, you know, Nate's very capable, and Jaden is coming back from having COVID, uh, which... If you heard him talk about it in his interview with Flo before the match, um, he he was near death. He uh, he had to be hooked up to a ventilator. He couldn't breathe. Uh, you know, his family was joking about him dying, which I guess is how they talk to each other. <laughs> but yeah, so you have to have concerns about where he's at. And in the interview afterwards, he did say, "I'm not where I'm at, at where where I want to be at um, at all," which makes sense. So I mean, he's still doing a good job managing matches. Um, I don't think he'd be like way higher activity if he was a hundred percent anyway, but um, you know, you never know what he's actually feeling or versus what he's presenting. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's move on to the Saturday card. Uh, the The Burroughs Taylor match was supposed to headline that. Uh, it was moved because uh, I think someone in the Penn State room tested positive, uh, so their their duel this weekend against Rutgers. Uh, has been postponed. Uh, it probably will not be rescheduled, is my guess. Uh, so the the co-main of that, which became the main event, was Adeline Gray and Tamira Mensa. Uh, Adeline Gray, world champion at 76 many times. Mensa uh, coming up from 68. Uh, she was world champ last year after, I think, a bronze in 2018. Uh, I expected Gray to win. She did not. Uh, she lost 4-0. Didn't look great. Ed, what were your thoughts about that one? Yeah, mostly just that she didn't look great. (laughs) Her, her, uh, her offense looked pretty simplistic. Uh, and Tamira, Tamira, Tamira seemed like the one who was, you know, actually wrestling the match and, you know, moving her around and, and getting her to react. And I don't exactly remember how she scored. Um, but I think it was two takedowns, um, and she basically was able to hold on to the lead, and basically all I remember Adeline doing was taking singles from the outside, um, which didn't work. So that's that's another size disparity match, and, you know, maybe Adeline wasn't wrestling the way she wrestles. I don't have a huge knowledge base on, on what her matches are like usually, um, but that kind of plays into the narrative of like, you know, if the size difference isn't too much, then the faster, more mobile person uh, mm-hmm. should have some advantages, uh, you know, if, you're, if your offense is too simplistic. So you don't want to read into it too much to 
you know, project right. into a big stylistic thing, but that did kind of feel like how it was going. Yeah, I don't know much about the, the relative strength of the different weight classes in women's wrestling. I mean, I know right. generally the middle or the bottom of the distribution is better. I think um, more so than in men's wrestling, the better wrestlers are toward the bottom of the weights. You know, I think 50 and 53 uh, are t tend to be better wrestlers than up at 68 and 76. Um, and maybe Gray has just been kind of ruling over uh, a weaker weight. Maybe Mensa is just like really pound for pound elite. I don't, mm -hmm. I don't know how to compare these things, but it, it looked like Gray was just completely out of ideas after the first minute and a half. She's like, she had oh a good my. attitude about it. <laughs> She's like, oh. Afterwards, she joked, uh, you know, pretty good cardio to take however many shots and, you know, whatever amount of time. Like, oh, single from space didn't work. Oh, can't snap her down. Oh, arm drag doesn't work. Uh, why don't I just try that all again? <laughs> all right, I'll try again. And she just didn't show anything new. If any MMA fans are listening, which I assume you are because, you know, MMA channel mostly um, the the weight class disparity thing is not as pronounced in wrestling as it is in MMA um, it's pretty dramatic in MMA it's it's very you know if you if you really look into small details maybe there's something there in wrestling and I think the meta games are different they're different weights but it's not like this huge thing um, same in women's really I, I think it's it's all pretty close um, maybe different styles, but, but relatively close. It's so much closer, if you're for sure. Like, oh, are these guys, you know, giving them a lot of credit for no reason? Like, no, I think it actually is pretty close. It's it's much closer than it is in MMA, where the the top couple weights are a pretty significant drop off. It's not like that. Mm -hmm. um, Ed, was there anything else from this card? Um, uh, James Green versus Pat Lugo. There was Jaden Cox versus Hayden Zilmer. Mm -hmm. uh, Aaron Golston against Emily Shilson. Any any of those jump out at you? Uh, just something you had brought up uh, in a previous discussion. Uh, I think Cox in his match with Hayden Zilmer. I think he gut wrenched Hayden Zilmer, which is pretty impressive. Uh, and then he also turned Nate Jackson. So he's been talking about developing his parterre. Um, so I, you you raised the question: Do you think he can gut people? For a 97 kilogram wrestler is uh, on the international stage. Can he can he score from parterre? Is this going to be part of his game now? Mm -hmm. Yeah, but both um, Zilmer and especially Jackson a little bit undersized, which you know obviously makes it a lot easier. But it's definitely something he's been working on, and something that I think would be really really beneficial to his game. I mean, mm -hmm. he he doesn't give up that many points if he can. Turn his two into four or six. That's kind of the end of the end of the match. Right. I um, I, I don't want to assume, but when I think about someone getting their offense really good in one position, I think that often translates to defense when it comes to like specific moves. If you know what I mean. So if someone really understands their parterre offense, that should translate somewhat to their defense as well, just because they're learning more of how things work and what adjustments you make and, and you can start to anticipate things um, or even analyze other people's systems a little better. Um, I mean, Jaden already had really good parterre defense. If you remember uh, 2019 Worlds against uh, 
Irakli uh, Mitsuri, I don't know how to say his name, uh, but he, like, he, I think he, like, snapped him down, like, ran behind him, like, got to a lace position, where he, like, had a low double or something. He was in a lace position, and he could not break him down or lace him or move him at all, and it was ridiculous. It was one of the most ridiculous things I've ever seen in my life. He is just a, a, a stone wall. Um, but yeah, you know, if we're, you know, looking ahead, he beats Snyder, let's say, which I think I was already favoring, but with the parterre thing, I think I favor it more. Um, he beats Snyder and he makes it to Sajulayev someday. Uh, that, that's a big part of that match, right? Like if yeah. Sajulayev has a big score, um, versus if Jaden, you know, scores big, like that, that a four instead of a two or a one, uh, could be the match decider. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, Ed, do you have any takes on college wrestling, anything on what Pitt's been doing or anything like that? Oh, I'll talk about Pitt, sure. Yeah, it's too early in the season for me to say things about other teams, uh, but I have watched Pitt's uh, first two dual meets, and uh, I'm, I'm pretty happy with where the team's at right now. got a few ranked guys, um, and, and I guess this year could be free for all of them, so I, I don't want to, you know try to like say it's their last year or anything like that but guys who are coming up um who are like middle to end of their careers like mickey Phillippe is finally like a journeyman at this point like finally in, in the middle stages uh, he's been wrestling for like five years and he's a junior or sophomore or something crazy um mickey Phillippe looking like himself pretty much which is still a t- solid like top seven ish guy um at 133 uh you got jake wenzel at 165 he's looking really good um who was it from uh, Navy that he beat? Schedule? Schedule, I think. That was a really impressive match. Um, he got, he gave up a turn, which would have been huge because that match was really close. And pretty much immediately, uh, next turn attempt uh, reversed and put him on his back. So, really great Matt wrestler. Put a hell of a ride on him after that and uh, looked pretty solid. Uh, actually, no. In his match against Lehigh, he looked kind of sick, actually. But Dane Lawrence is pretty tough, and I think it's a tough style matchup for him because they're both good Matt wrestlers from PA. Uh, so Jake Wenzel's looking good at 65, returning ACC champion. Uh, Greg Harvey, no. Jared McGill's at 74. I think he could be pretty good. Um, still still new. Uh, but yeah, Greg Harvey moved up to 84. He looks like himself pretty much. Uh, can't score quite as much because of the weight change, but he'll get there. Same with Nino Bonacorsi. He's a volume shooter. Um, he's highly ranked at this point. Uh, but yeah, he, he's still got to figure out moving around and shooting on the guys at 97. That's a weaker weight, so he should be still in the same rankings range regardless. And then at heavyweight, we got this guy Jake Slinger, who uh, pretty clutch <laughs> in both of his first two matches, and I'm I'm looking forward to watching more of him. He's like a an eight man. <laughs> so yeah, fits good. And then uh, some of the unranked guys like Cole Matthews. Uh, Cole Matthews is ranked actually. Um, Cole Matthews is uh, right around where he should be at this point. Um, and even in his losses, uh, one loss so far, he, he looked pretty pretty much there. So, yeah, I'm really excited about Pitt. Lehigh Navy, two really good wins for a program at this stage. And uh, they have all their ACC duels next. I think um, Duke, which should go fine because I don't think Duke's particularly tough, um, top to bottom in their lineup. And, uh, yeah, NC State and VT are going to be super tough after that, and I think UNC is after. So, um, yeah, Pitt's shaping up to be a really good dual team. I don't think they'll do too much better in the tournament than they usually do, but they're going to get multiple AAs, which has been something they've been lined up to do a bunch of times <laughs> recently and haven't pulled off. Um, but, you know, they got the unofficial AAs last year. Uh, but this seems like the year that they can, you know, cement that and do it for real this time. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, th- I think um, one of the rankings had Pitt fifteenth this year, which is I think pretty, pretty good, good yeah. uh, in the tournament. Probably the best they finished in quite some time. Um, all right, that does it for uh, this portion of the podcast. Ed, we'll see you later. All right, bye bye. That actually does it for the entire podcast. We'll see you next week. <laughs>